Hi friends, welcome to The Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher and life coach. It is my goal in life to reframe the way that we understand trauma. And I think if we want to understand trauma, we need more stories, more examples, an archive of trauma stories. But not just an archive where someone lays their story down for posterity and walks away, an archive that gives them something back, some attunement, some empathy, a reframe, integration, maybe some little piece of knowledge or understanding so that they walk away feeling like the thing that makes the least sense in their lives makes just a little more sense. This podcast is that archive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. That always freaks me out. Okay, uh, welcome to episode 22, 22. right? 22 of yep. the tapes. Yay! How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Good. I don't think we have any rewinds. Nope. I can't think of anything. Okay. Do you want to just jump right in? Yeah. Yeah. The letters, um, it's kind of long this week, but um, there's a lot here. So okay. it's from Unfixable. Dear Trauma Tapes, I'm in my early 40s and have been married to my wife for 10 years. We have an amazing son. And despite all of my soon to be told struggles, I love my little family more than anything. I am in individual therapy and in couples therapy with my wife. Individual therapy for my past childhood trauma and couples therapy, therapy partially because of how my unresolved past is manifesting in our relationship now. In thinking back on my childhood, I can't remember any truly healthy relationships with adults. As an infant, my mom would leave me for hours as I cried because I was too much or too needy. When I was a toddler, she would make me sit in a room silently for a day or afternoon because she had gone back to school and needed to study in complete silence. When I turned six, my sister was born and my parents' world that never revolved around me started to revolve around her. My dad would go on business trips for weeks at a time and come back with a toy and a handshake. In short, I can't remember ever feeling not completely alone or abandoned for my first eight years on this earth. I remember my mom saying she just didn't like me. Mm. And I suppose that continued throughout my childhood. But at eight, my neighbor and his daughter, who was two years older than me, started sexually abusing me. This happened for a few years until he lost interest, and then we moved away. I never told my parents. I didn't think they would believe me, and I didn't have teachers that I truly trusted. The one time I thought of telling one of my teachers, it was because my neighbor said he would kill me if I did, and I wanted that to happen. Mm. I carried so much guilt and shame, guilt for not sticking up for myself, shame for not stopping it, embarrassment for not telling anyone, but also anger. I would get in trouble for having blood in my underwear at the age of nine or my parents would express disapproval when I needed frequent doctor's appointments. No one thought to ask why this was happening. I'm not sure I would have told them, so maybe it didn't matter. I didn't have really any friends, but I was an excellent student. I also developed a quick wit and was very good and was a very good athlete. In high school, I won a lot of academic and athletic awards. So on the outside, it looked like everything was okay. In my 20s, I started therapy for the childhood rape. I also slept around a lot. 
I think I thought if I had more good sexual memories than bad, that I would be cured of my demons. Spoiler alert, it didn't work. Through my therapy, though, I got to the point where the memories of the abuse weren't crippling anymore. I still have flashbacks and nightmares, but they were much less than before. In my late 20s, I met a girl and I fell in love. She is the kind of person who walks into a room and everyone wants to turn to talk to her. She is funny, incredibly smart, has a, has a successful career, and is a wonderful mother. But for the first two years of our relationship, she was an also an alcoholic. She is now in recovery, and I'm so proud of her for that. She quit cold turkey and never looked back. But when she was drunk, she was abusive. On two separate occasions, she beat me. Other times, she emotionally and verbally abused me. She told me I was fat and worthless. She was only with me until she found someone better. That I was too broken to be loved. I lost a lot of friends during this time because they couldn't watch all of this happen. I'm not sure what I thought at the time, but I suspect I thought I deserved to be treated that way. Once my wife became sober, we never talked about it. Up until a few months ago, I thought she remembered these encounters. It turns out she didn't. But I carried that for 10 years, thinking she knew and it could all come back at any time. Throughout our marriage, I've been controlling and manipulative. I never did it intentionally, but I think my childhood created some codependent or anxious attachment tendencies in me. But her treatment of me didn't help me, didn't help. An example of how I was controlling that is a good representation of my actions is I never told her she couldn't go out with friends, but I would be nervous if she did and would text her a few times while she was out with them. Or she felt guilty for going out with people that were her friends who I didn't like, so she didn't go. I never called her names. I never stopped her from doing things. I never raised my voice. I never hit her. But I was an unhealthy level of needy. We are currently in couples counseling because, as she says, she has 10 years of emotional abuse to recover from. I have some anger over this. Like, how fucking dare you after you after how you treated me. I think the anger comes from my inability to, inability to accept that I am an abuser because my experience with abusers involves my mom leaving me as an infant alone for days at a time or a neighbor raping me or a spouse bruising my body. So perhaps it's the semantics and not the message that I'm struggling with. My wife has apologized and feels awful for the actions and words she doesn't remember from when she was drunk but that is the extent of the amends she's made. I guess I don't know what else she could do, but maybe make an effort at prioritizing my needs amongst all the shit we've had to deal with during this pandemic. From my perspective, we are in couples counseling because it feels to me like my needs and wants don't matter. We have a marriage devoid of physical or sexual intimacy. There is now a lot of kindness and co-parenting, but very little emotional affection. I could go on and on, but I'll try and get to the point. In my individual therapy work, I am learning that my needs as a child did matter, that my needs in my marriage now matter. I don't quite believe that yet, but I'm working on it. I realize now my biggest baggage now from my childhood trauma is not the sexual abuse, but the abandonment. And as I learn more about my needs and my fear of abandonment, it has put an additional strain on my marriage. 
I've talked to my therapist and doctor about this, but it all feels so hopeless. And the only thing that gets me out of this hopeless hellhole is the idea that if I wanted to, I could end it all tomorrow. I have no plans to, but that idea brings relief. Here are my questions for you, trauma tapes. I know I need to learn to love myself, but how? Like, how do people actually do this? It feels impossible. My therapist has said to me, one of her jobs is to hold onto hope for me until I'm ready to receive it, which I find to be such a lovely sentiment, but it seems so unlikely that I will get there. And does my marriage have any chance or am I too damaged? I've come a long way, at least a long way for me, and told my wife what I need from our marriage. And she is unable to meet these needs, which seems so basic and so simple. For example, I would like to make out maybe for a minute once a week, but she can't because she has emotional trust that I broke with her that needs to be repaired first from the aforementioned emotional abuser that I was. Am I just repeating the same pattern from my childhood by staying with someone who feels unavailable to me? I feel like I'm at a point where I find myself thinking nearly daily, which is more painful, being married to someone not working to meet my needs or being abandoned by her. All of my friends now are couples friends. So outside of my therapist, I have no one to talk to about this. So it just all feels so overwhelming. I'm sure there are so many other questions I should be asking, but through my tears, they aren't coming to me. I really appreciate your insight and thoughts. Thank you for providing a safe space to be completely opened. Sincerely unfixable. Oh my God. I know. I Can we just like cut through everything? There's so much to talk to about. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just took a whole page of notes while you were reading that. Um, your marriage is over, dude. You got to get out. Is that I unfair agree. to say? No, I, I, I mean, that's, it's a strong reaction, but I have the same first reaction. I, 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 I feel like you're not being granted the grace that you deserve in this situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, when someone continually calls you an abuser, And I don't see anything in any of the behavior that you described that sounds abusive. Um, It's, it's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's, it's cruel. It's Mm -hmm. mean. And you know, that's a non-starter for me. But also like you, I mean, we, okay. So here's a bunch of caveats, right? We don't know the other side of the story. We don't know, you know, what this other person would say, all this other stuff. But it's not a debate, you know, like, the, the, well, yeah, sorry. no, no go for it. You. No, like this is, these are the letter writers feelings. And, right. and, you know, the, the person on the other side can say, no, that's not true. That's not true. Whatever. Yeah. This is, right. this is how this person is left Yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, she, she says she thinks about taking her own life. I know, you know that's huge. Uh, absolutely. The, um, no, don't be, I think it's, it's, <laughs> we're fired up guys. Can you tell? <laughs> um, I mean, can control, here's the thing. Controlling behavior falls under the, the, the umbrella of emotional abuse, right? So your partner has clung to that term and is now using it to throw darts in your face from across the room. So you two can sit in the same room and throw darts at each other for the rest of your lives, or you can get on with your life, you know? Like what this tit for tat, like hierarchical shit has to stop. 
You hurt me more yeah, than I hurt I, you. I don't, think, that, you don't, I don't think the behavior that she described is controlling. I, I think it's, we have, you, when you're in a relationship, mm-hmm. any relationship, you know, you have a right to ask for things that you need. And as long as they don't like impede on the other person's daily existence or put them mm-hmm. in harm's way, mm-hmm. it's okay to ask for things. hundred percent. And when you're made to feel like you're wrong for asking for things, mm-hmm in order to make yourself feel better, Mm -hmm. that's like, it's bullshit. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. Like, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, we're not laughing at you letter, right? I'm laughing because Lisa's so fired up. I'm I'm like making all hand gestures and I'm fired up. She's leaning into the screen. (laughs) I'll give you an example. Okay. When, when my husband says, um, I'm going to be, I'm leaving for work from work now to come home. And I know it takes him 45 minutes to get home. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, you know, has passed. Mm-hmm. I start to freak out, not because I think he's in a bar or I think he's like, you know, found mm-hmm. someone better or, you know, any of the things that people think, but because I think that he's dead on the side of the road, something's happened because my past and my history tells me that everything that I've loved in this life is going to die. Yeah. So we have this system where, you know, if a certain amount of time has passed, I'll call him and say, you know, just checking in, like, how far away are you? And Mm -hmm. that might seem neurotic. That might seem crazy to some people that might seem over the top but he knows that that's mm-hmm. something that I have mm-hmm. and that I have that need to kind of check in and make sure he's not dead, which, right. you know, sounds ridiculous. Like when you say it out loud, but it doesn't. That's, where I, that's where I come from. That's one of my needs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. as a result of him <clears throat> indulging that need, mm-hmm. I feel it less and less. Right. Which is, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. It's not a big ask, you know? And if he just said like, fuck you, like, I'm not going to answer the phone. You're being ridiculous. Or controlling or abusive or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Things wouldn't go well. Right. (laughs) If that was the answer that I got. Right. You know what I mean? And and it goes the other way. There are things that he needs from me, you know, that, that I don't understand. I don't agree with, but you know what? I just do it because I'm in a relationship and (laughs) that's the way it works. Right. Right. I'm off on a tangent. I'm fired up. No, it's important. I think it's important because I think like I'm trying, I was trying to come up with like a biological parallel. Like, I feel like you're being poisoned a little bit every day and by your partner and you keep saying like, could you stop poisoning me? And they're like, no, I'm going to keep poisoning you. Like what the fuck? If this was, if this was physical, it would be so clearly unacceptable. Why is it unacceptable? Because it's, it's mental because we don't think that mental health is important, but it is. So you're working against that too. You know what I mean? You know, and it, you you don't have to understand it. You don't, if you called me and said, you know what, Lisa, I need you to stand there on your head every Tuesday for 10 minutes from right. four to four ten. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> oh, you'd be like, what? <laughs> no, I would be like, if that's important. You would like, do it 100%. I would do it as long as I wasn't going to get fired from a job or like hurt right. myself. Right. I would 100%. do it. Yep. 100%. And you might have a conversation you might be like, why, what is the deal? And if I was like, I don't know, I just feel like you need to do this. It's a superstitious thing for me. It's going to make me feel better. You'd be like, okay, cool. Should I send you a picture? Do you want a video? Like, how do I, you know, like 
it's right. just, you're not asking. I, I think it's, it's so we earned that with the people that we love. Right. Haven't we, you know? Yep. There's no safety here in this relationship. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good the, way to put it. And that's why I, I, and I'm sorry to be so blunt because obviously we are here to support you, whichever thing you decide and whatever that path is, but you know, I want you to know in no uncertain terms that's what, that what's going, what is going on is unacceptable. Yeah. You're, you're in a bad pattern and, you know, either the couples therapist can help you get out of it quickly or mm-hmm. there's, or you need to move on. Yep. Because I also like what sticks out. Another thing that sticks out is if your wife was an alcoholic, I, I you know, I'm sure that there are compromises that you make mm-hmm. because of that. Right. And all you're doing is asking for the same in return. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's so interesting because she said like, um, sorry, she said, I have some anger over this, right? So we're in couples counseling and my partner is saying that, you know, I've been emotionally abused for 10 years and I have anger over this. Like how fucking dare you after how you treated me? I think the anger comes from my inability to accept that I'm an abuser because my experience with abusers involves my mom leaving me as an infant alone for days at a time or a neighbor raping me or a spouse bruising my body. So perhaps it's the semantics and not the message that you're struggling with. No, right? Like it's, it's the fact that your metric is shaped by your past experience, which is not being honored here by your partner in life. Right. She's the one that caused some of that. And it sounds like has not taken any responsibility for that. Uh, I wasn't right. around. I was drunk. Okay. It's, you still did it. Right. Uh, amends don't stop at an apology. Like true right. amends means you have to change your behavior. Correct action. Exactly. The, the other reason why I'm resonating with that anger is because it's the highest energy part of your letter. This is the like... This is what to lean into, not because you want to stay and move into anger for the rest of your life, but the impulse that's going to get you out of this, this ditch is come the energy for that comes from here. Right. You, you have every right to be, you know, screaming you, you have, you were not protected as a child. Every adult in your life failed you, you know, and that's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking that there were neighbors, doctors, teachers, people were involved and no one did anything. You were not protected. Yeah. And now you have a right to protect yourself Mm -hmm. and you have a right to ask the people in your life that are close to you to help Mm -hmm. you do that. Yeah. Your requests are not too much. They're not too needy. Nope. Texting someone while they're out with friends is not intrusive. Mm Mm-mm. And I just want to say that I wasn't saying, I was not trying to label you as abusive. I'm trying to leave space for the fact that it's possible that there's controlling behavior here that isn't in the letter. And that if, if that's what's going on, and I don't want the letter writer to listen to this and be like, well, I didn't say X, Y, and Z. And so they don't really know. And therefore nothing that they said actually counts, right? Like if there is stuff that you didn't tell us that is controlling or falls under that umbrella, then so be it. But it sounds like you are taking responsibility and willing to take responsibility for your behavior in a way that your partner is not. And if they are not willing to take responsibility for their behavior, there's no moving forward. There's no forward. There's no future. And one of the reasons you can't connect to hope is because there might not be hope in this relationship, but that doesn't mean there's no hope at all. Right. I think it's damn near impossible to continue on your journey of healing if your day-to-day is so 
unsafe. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yep. Totally. Cause you're in, you get in, you're in survival mode. Your body thinks you're in danger because you are. And so you just, you turn all that stuff off because you have to. Right. You can't connect to the hope circuit in your brain when you're activated like that. It's not possible. So you're, you're running up against impossibility because there is impossibility that you're running up against, not because you're failing at this or you're not healing or you're broken. Right. Mm-hmm. I, um, I want to go to this idea of brokenness because I'm obsessed with this lately. And I like, I'm, I'm playing with this metaphor. I mean, okay. So it's going in two directions. Number one, I feel like we don't break. And I think almost like it might be easier if we did. You know, like if it was when you have a broken bone, they scan, they figure out exactly the kind of break and the extent of the break. And then they have a very clear treatment plan. And I wonder like if we, if we did break psychologically, you know, there, it would be easier. We don't. So there's that. But then if we, if we talk about brokenness, because it's language that we all use, we, we talked last time about the, or one of the times, one of the episodes about Kintsuji, which is that Japanese art of, um, of putting together pottery with gold lacquer, but there's, we're missing something here. And this is, I think maybe helpful for us. So in Kintsuji, the the way that this came about is that they used to put the pottery back together with clear lacquer. And then, you know, they realized that gold lacquer is actually more aesthetically pleasing. And that's a culture that really appreciates aesthetics. And so they, they moved to gold lacquer, there's clear lacquer underneath it. So I think of the clear lacquer as our automatic coping, right? What did you do in the moment when you had no coping and no help and you were alone and you just needed to get through? That's your clear lacquer that held you together in the moment. The gold lacquer is your chosen coping. That's what you put on after the fact when you've recognized, when you have enough distance from the tragedy to realize that you have survived and that what you survived left traces, on your life and you have to now move forward, but you want to choose coping instead of just having this be the automatic coping that you just picked in desperation, because sometimes the automatic coping doesn't actually serve us long-term or pieces of it serve us, but we want to like master it more effectively. And so I feel like you're at this, this crossroads in your life where you have gotten through all of this stuff. You've got the clear lacquer. It's time to pick the gold and choose some coping that gets you into a healthier place so that you can access the hope that exists for you. The clear lacquer is what prevents the vessel from leaking when you put water in it. Right. And the gold is, I I think of it as like a celebration of. Yeah. Of the, of the break of the survival of the the whole, it's not the case that the, the bowl is beautiful despite the fact that it's been broken, it's beautiful because it has been broken. And that's true. Us, you know, like that's the thing that's more interesting. I think, and I feel this way with almost every letter that we, that we receive the, the resilience and the strength and the tenacity of these people is astounding to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, go through the childhood that you went through and then get to a place where you succeed academically and athletically Mm -hmm. get to a place where you have a great, sounds like a great group of friends in your Mm twenties, get to a place where you have a child. And I understand your frustration now that you're not feeling as good as you should, or that you think that you should. And that's, that's difficult and heartbreaking, but you need to 
recognize and celebrate everything that you've done. Mm -hmm. The clear lacquer. I mean, Mm -hmm. you need to, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. This would take most people out. Oh yeah. And does. Right. And, and I like, I, at the same time, I'm like having this other thought where it's like, I'm also so sad, right? Cause we celebrate resilience and it's so important, but I'm sad for you, especially these stories like last week's as well of like this just like horrific neglect and abuse in childhood shouldn't fucking happen. I know you shouldn't have to be resilient in second grade. I, I think of that, like when I, th- I think of all the movements that are going on now, which yeah. are you know, needed and um, overdue and important, but where, who's defending these children? I know. You know? I know. Why isn't this like. The, and that's the thing you said this a couple of minutes ago, but like I, whenever I hear a story like this, of course you, you feel for the, 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 the central characters, right. The, the person who's like, you feel angry at the parent or whoever it is, the system, the immediate system. But then I'm like, what the fuck you lived next to, who are the other people who walked right. by and heard it happening, who lived next door and knew there was something going on, who passed you in the grocery store and was, and had their, like the hairs on the back of their neck stand up because they were like, Oh, you shouldn't treat a child like that why are, and this goes back to this thing that I'm always like harping on about, which is that if we all got better at this, then we could prevent it. Right. You you know, like if we all got better at trauma and and we stopped like sweeping it under the rug and actually had real conversation about it, then we would get better. We would call each other out. We yeah, all failed all, like, you. Trained to like ignore these these yes. sirens that go off, this feeling in our stomach, like something's not right here. Like right. when you have that feeling, you're right. Something's not right. Right, right. You know. I know and, the Woody Allen that. story. I keep thinking. <laughs> right. You know, children are suffering, and that's just inexcusable. But the thing that's fascinating about that, we need like a separate podcast to talk about the things we watch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> um, but the thing that's so like, that so spoke to me in that, in that series was just how many people saw and they didn't see the overt stuff. They just were in the elevator with them and they were like, well, that feels weird. Right. Oh, that seems strange. That's not how you relate to a child. That's not what attunement looks like. You know, like what right. the fuck? It's horrifying. It's absolutely I, horrifying. And I think that's got to be underneath and fueling some of this very like righteous anger where it's like, it's not just about your parents. You could, you could come up with some story where your parents are, they did the best they can, blah, 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 right. Whatever. But everybody else failed you. And that's, that's, there's so much like, and then, okay. So we have to then like talk about trauma bond again, because this is really important. You've got this like alone, 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 lonely childhood on your own planet, you know, nobody's there, neglect, sexual abuse, all the things you need attunement, 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 but your wiring is going to, and this is such a, like, this is the center of the trauma bond or one of those centers is that your wiring is going to feel more like in this primal way, more comfortable with alone, because that's where you came from. And so I think that's one of the things that's maybe keeping you in this relationship where you are again, alone, 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 right? Like this is not a relationship. You're like, you know, I've had better roommate. So I think part of the stickiness, part of the magnetic thing that's maybe keeping you in is not, 
the way you actually feel about your partner, but that you, you very early on, it was like the tracks were set for you that this is what life is supposed to look like. You're supposed to feel alone. You don't know otherwise, you know, that's interesting. When I, when I read this yesterday, I thought, and I, you know, the trauma bond and all those things, like, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not super clear on those, the meaning of those or the definitions. But um, when I first read it, I thought she needs to find things that make her feel good on her own. Mm -hmm. You know, she needs to find, you know, what it sounds like she had a good friend group at one point in her life, like Mm -hmm. find interests that are outside of this that will provide, you know, Mm -hmm. a a different kind of energy connection, something. And Mm -hmm. then I thought, well, that's probably going to be terrifying to her because she'll be trying to do things alone Mm -hmm. when she's been alone. Like that's, you know, she's afraid of being abandoned with good reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you do that? Like, how do you walk that line of like Mm -hmm. finding things that make you happy on your own without giving into the fear of being alone? Does that make any sense? Totally. And it's, it, it's what you just said is super interesting because you found a relationship or you are now in a relationship where you are alone. So you think you've checked the box of not being alone, but you're more alone than ever. I, and the thing underneath that is that I, you're, so you're totally right. And I think there's even one layer deeper, which is that I think you're actually not afraid of being alone. You're afraid of being not alone. And so in a way it's safer to be in a relationship where you are alone than it would be to be in a relationship where you're vulnerable and seen and held because you've never had that. Wow. That's the like, and, and so like, let's go back to the trauma bond. Cause this is, so we did a, we did an episode about this, but let's talk about it again. Cause it's so important and we're getting it wrong in, you know, which always fires me up. Not we, I mean, like you and I, I mean like the world. Cause I think we think like, if you're, if you're in a trauma bond, it means you've attracted this kind of thing into your life. And that's completely bullshit. You're not, you didn't, you did not manifest this. You don't attract toxic people. You didn't like ask the universe to put, you know, for like, Oh, let me have some more pain and confusion. (laughs) Right. It's not, it's not that simple. That's the same as the people who we've talked about this before, who, who say like, Oh, well, you know, that, that earthquake happened because people are gay. Like, no, that's bullshit trauma bonds are complicated. And there's, um, so there's two things I think that make up a trauma bond, um, in the clinical sense, this is where this comes from. Hold on. I'm trying to pull up the exact language. I just wrote about this. Okay. There's two components of a trauma bond, power dynamics that are uneven and intermittent affection with abuse. So the reason they know about this have, am I completely repeating myself? No. Okay. So the reason they know about this is because researchers tried to study um, abusive relationships and they were like, why do these happen? Why do abusive relationships happen? And so they interviewed a bunch of men who had been convicted of abusing their wives and the men all universally said it's her fault, right? She's got this unique personality. She pushes my buttons. I've never been violent. It's her fault. And so the researchers were like, okay, we have to talk to the wives And so they pulled the wives into the study and they found that they had the same personality. All of the wives had very similar personality. They were very detached. They couldn't make decisions. They were cold. They were disconnected. And it was kind of in this way of like, they were, they were almost like automatons, right? They were like the same mold. And so the researchers, this was in the late sixties, I think the researchers were like, okay, 
there's a personality type that wants and attracts abuse. They called this battered wives syndrome. It came into the DSM. This was not just like kooky, wacky belief. This was scientific belief. This is research. (laughs) They never considered that perhaps the women shared the personality traits because they had all been abused. Are you kidding me? No. This is where masochistic personality disorder comes up. This is, that's how it was. This part of the reason that it exists in the DSM. And so this is like the history of this, this, this idea of the trauma bond, right? That you have, that you attract this. This is why it's so important to get it right. Because we're, we're talking about this as if we want this in our lives. And that is not the case. You look so pissed off. (laughs) I want to like throw something through the window right now. (laughs) But then think about this, like for 20 years, it didn't get it didn't get um, reversed for 20 years, for 20 years, that was the prevailing scientific belief. So when people went to a, a clinician for help, they were told that they had, that they had a need to be abused. And then 20 years later, some researchers were like, Hey, I don't think this treatment method is working. Let's look at this again. Yeah. Donald Dutton and Susan Painter were like, hold on, let's maybe, maybe look at this again. And they look, they figured like, okay, maybe instead of a personality type that needs to be abused, there's something about the abuse that changes your personality. Maybe these people, right. (laughs) Maybe these people go back into these relationships or they stay not because they wanted to be abused, but because they lost themselves. And so they termed this unique bond for this weird kind of sticky, especially sticky relationship, a trauma bond. And they define that as the development and course of strong emotional ties between persons where one person intermittently harasses, beats, threatens, abuses, or intimidates the other. And they found that there's these two components in all of these relationships. Number one is this uneven power dynamic that gets taken advantage of. And two is the abuse that's intermittent rather than constant and mixed with intense affection. So those together work to create these devastating personality shifts in both people. And so the personalities then become shaped around the relationship. You gradually lose a sense of self and you're dangerously bonded. I'm I'm like dumbfounded. I'm really like, (laughs) I, I just, I can't believe that this... I don't know why I'm shocked, but that th- this you're shocked because it's shocking. As, mm-hmm. It is shocking. And so we also then have to, whenever we talk about the trauma bond, you have to talk about repeating it because if there's a pattern in your life, your our temptation is to like internalize that and be like, well, I'm fucked up. There's something wrong with me. I keep repeating this. I want otherwise, but I can't find out what's going on. And so here's another place where psychology has failed us because Psychologists are still arguing about which answer to that question is the right one, rather than consider that they're all the right answer. Right. Why do we repeat? Freud called the repetition compulsion a demonic force, right? He was just like, this, I don't know what this shit is, but it's dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Why do we do this? This goes against everything. And I think we we there are lots of re- reasons for repetition. We repeat because his theory was re- we repeat to master. And there's a neurobiological correlate to that. That means that that's partly true, right? When we go through something overwhelming and confusing, we repeat it so that we give our brain the opportunity to file it away in a way that it couldn't have been in the moment. 
but I don't think that's all. We also repeat, I think sometimes to avoid mastery because if we have to digest this idea that like our parents weren't there for us or failed us in this fundamental way, opening ourselves up to further abuse is like, is a way to protect our origin story because we can't make sense of the world outside of that. And it's a way to protect our parents, right? It's not just because we want to like absolve them of their guilt, but because of what it would mean if we didn't. And I think we also repeat because it feels like home, right? Not because we want it to, because it does, you know, in the same way that like, if you moved to a different country that spoke a different language and decided that you hate it. So if you move to France and you're like, man, the French language and culture is the best. I love it. I don't it like America is a piece of shit. English language is disgusting. I'm going to speak French forever and twirl in a tutu, right? Whatever you still, if you had to go back to the U S for some reason, there, there is a pull because it was home. What you know, right. It's what, you know, yeah. And there's nothing to be ashamed of about that, you know? And, and here's the last one. Sorry. I think we repeat because we miss clues that we're repeating. And the reason we miss clues that we're repeating is that we've become neurobiologically disconnected from ourselves because we've been abused. So going back to what you said a couple of minutes ago, the answer to answer the question, how do I learn to love myself? And how do I learn to hope? Right. Um, Is you reconnect with yourself, just like you were saying, but how do you You, reconnect with yourself? If you, if that's your, that was your childhood. Well, you connect with the self that exists beyond any circumstance. You know what I mean? Like there is a self that exists. That's a core self. And sometimes it has to be created, but you do that by attuning to yourself. What things do I love? What things make me feel at peace? And those things can be, this is why we do tiny little joys. Those things can be minuscule. You can know that you like mac and cheese. That could be the only thing you know about yourself and the color green. But every time you know that about yourself and indulge in those things and choose them for yourself, you are strengthening the neural connections to the part of your brain that is yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you build from there. What about going back to like the point in her life or the point in anyone's life where they were getting feedback, like positive feedback, you know, like she said, she was successful um, academically and athletically. What about trying to recreate that? You know, and uh, the friend group that she had that couldn't watch her um, be in the relationship that she's in. Yeah. That she's still in. Yeah. What about going back to that time? Yeah. Is that inauthentic? No. Okay. No, totally. Cause I'm, when I'm saying like, you don't know yourself and that's like sort of a reductive idea, you're, you're a self and yourself is going through time and you're, you just aren't connecting, you know what I mean? And imprinting, but yeah, you can totally go back to times. In fact, like they've done research on this with Alzheimer's patients where they will put them instead of in an institution, when they're starting to reach kind of critical levels of dementia, they'll put them in an institution. I'm putting that in scare quotes that looks like their college campus dorm. Oh, wow. And, and they will have the, the, the place look and feel like college and you go to class and you have the dining hall and you have like pool tables and you hang out and socialize the way you did in college. And they found that being in that environment has a tremendous effect and can, in some cases, actually walk back the effects of dementia 
So people regain parts of their brain because they're connecting to parts in their life when they felt most alive and enriched and connected. Oh, I love that. I know. So, so yeah, I mean, back to that. And if you can't recover those relationships, what was it about those relationships? What did you guys do for fun? Can you create some new connections in that same, you know, we always did trivia Monday night at the bar or whatever, like, can you find a new group of people to do that with so that you feel connected in that way? There's like this, this, this dual thing of like, I feel like we tell people in these, in this situation, like, oh, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. And like, okay, like if you can't see it or feel it, it doesn't really matter, you know? So like, I want to like kind of attuned to the idea that like, I get it, that you're in a place that's so dark that you can't feel hope. I, that's real. Absolutely. I love, I, but I, I I also absolutely love what her therapist said to her. Yeah. One of her jobs is to hold on to hope for me until I'm ready to receive it. That is, uh, you have a great therapist. I mean, that, that is a wonderful sentiment, Mm -hmm. like you said, and you will get there. Mm -hmm. And like, And you have to, we have to figure out how to get there. Right. Like, how can we like lay that first, like, you know, the little bit of the path down so that you can start walking it. Cause what I'm hearing is that like, cool, you're going to hold my hope. Awesome. Do you can, where is it? Why can't I feel it? (laughs) You know, but you know, I like in my own therapy over the years, I feel like my poor therapist said the same thing to me. Oh, oh, a thousand times. Yeah. (laughs) Over. And over and over again uh-huh. for years. And she uh-huh. was probably like, here we go again. She doesn't listen. She doesn't yeah. do the things we've already decided she's get, you know, should do. Right. And she was 1 million percent right. Yeah. And it's only when I started feeling good enough to do those things. Yeah. That, that, that the tides began to shift. Yeah. And here's what we, what we know though, like to, to synthesize all this, you can, I know you can't feel the hope in your own life. I know that. And you can connect to hope using like by manually manipulating your thought process and your brain function. And that's what the therapist isn't doing when they're saying, I'll hold the hope for you, which you're totally right. is a completely wonderful sentiment. And it's a beautiful thing to say. And therapists are angels for sitting there for however many years we sit with them and telling us the same goddamn thing every single week. (laughs) Right. But I think that like, you can't, how do I learn to hope? We know the answer to this. You engage the hope circuit. Mm -hmm. And if you can't imagine hope in your own life, do it in a way that is fantastical. Right. right. Imagine hope that's ridiculous. That's unreachable that, you know, is absurd and imagine it in detail anyway. No, and know that when you're doing that, you are shutting off the circuit in your brain that is responsible for fear. And you're turning on the part of your brain that is responsible for connection. If we want to change our brain, we need to be specific and, and exercise the parts of our brain that are not connected. You can't do that just by saying anything. You have to actually do it just like you would have to, if you want to learn how to play an instrument, you have to practice. You, right. you, you can't walk around talking about how one day you'd like to play the guitar and never pick it up. That will only yeah. take you so far. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the same thing for how do I learn to love myself? Like, I think number one, you've got to kind of not even flip around the shame and guilt, but just like set it down and see what else is there. Yeah. 
because there are other things already, right? There's anger, there's resilience, there's connection. You know what I mean? Like connect to those things intentionally a couple times a day, as well as the guilt and shame. Right. Celebrate those things. Right. There's also a narrative exercise that I think might be helpful, which I just made up. Um, I say it's an exercise, like as if this is a time tested exercise. No, I just made it up. (laughs) Take like one story about your life and write it down in bare facts and then write four perspectives of that same story. And you don't have to believe them. Like they can just be like completely wacky one perspectives. But what that will do is give a little bit of space and distance between you and the story. When we tell our stories, this is the reason, one of the reasons why we have this podcast and one of the reasons why storytelling is so important. One of the things that that we do neuro, neurologically when we tell stories is we get distance. We put ourselves in an external perspective and then we realize that we're not living it anymore. And so we don't have to. So then that starts to open the pathway. You know what I mean? So if you engage in different perspectives, that might be a way to see that there are other ways to read your story other than the shame story you're telling yourself. So pretend like state the facts and then pretend you're reading someone else's story. Um, no, no, write and write a new one. Okay. So like, I'm trying to think of a quick example of how this would work, but like, if, if I have, uh, you know, let's say I have a friend just absolutely ghost me out of nowhere and I'm left in that place of like, what the hell happened? I thought we were friends kind of thing. And I'm telling myself the story that I'm a bad friend. I'm always a bad friend. I've been a bad friend. I can think of 14 examples of how I was a bad friend. I deserve this, blah, blah, blah. That's a shame spiral. So if I get down the facts, I was friends with this person for this long. We were in touch until this point. They fell out of touch. Four different perspectives. Number one, I'm a piece of shit friend. They left me on purpose. I deserve this. This will always happen. That's my prevailing narrative. Perspective number two maybe something else is going on in their life and they're super overwhelmed and I haven't actually been ghosted and they're going to circle back around. That's possible. I don't know that that's the case. Perspective number three, this can be as crazy as you want it to be. Maybe they got overtaken by um, aliens and they are no longer on this earth and they'll get in touch when they can, right? (laughs) Whatever it is. Perspective number four, I can be whatever I'm out of perspectives, but you write down the, the purpose. There's this is all intentional. You write it down on purpose because you're laying different like neural tracks in your brain. When you tell a different story about something, even if it's not the true one. Okay. Because often the truth is like both not something we have access to and to, and not important in the way that we need it to be. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Yeah. So what else is there is the, is the question. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm not looking no, at me. No, like, it does make sense. So it's okay. not the story itself. It's the potential um, reactions to it. We miss the fact that we are the narrator and we yeah. get to assign meaning to the stories that happen to us. And we don't have control over what happens to us, but we have control over the way we tell it. And when we tell ourselves shame stories, we soak ourselves in shame. Okay. So to stop that, you have to start seeing that there's alternative ways to tell the same story. Got it. That's a good exercise. And like, let go of accuracy a little bit. Well, what you think is accuracy. Exactly. Right. Do we feel like we're helping? (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. 
hope so. I'm trying to think of like a way to like button it up. And I just want to say that, you know, I'm sorry for everything you're going through. And I really, I, what I wish for you, and I've had this kind of vision the whole time we've been talking of like, I wish for you this like full color, vibrant, connected life, you know, where you are attuned to and held and where there's like conflict, but it's okay. And like, this doesn't feel like life to me. Well, a life where there are needs and your needs are understood and met Mm -hmm. and it goes both ways. And yeah, you know, where you don't have to defend yourself. Yeah. Day in and day out. Right. As a, just for being alive, like, <laughs> right. You know, right. This is a tough one. I know. Okay. Last thing I, I think just cause this is important to talk about, cause we're talking about needs. They are a negotiation in a relationship. Like if you were asking Brent not to go to work because you were afraid And that fear is the same, right? I'm afraid he's going to die. So don't go to work. You have to always work from home and you have to stay in this one little room and I'll bring you your food, right? (laughs) He could be like, dude, no, right? Like I'm going to go to work, but I will call you. And if I'm going to be late, you can call me. And if you're worried, you can send me a text message. And you know what I mean? Like, it's not that like, if you have a need, it has to be met in the exact same way. It's just that it has to be regarded, you know, and taken seriously and, and, negotiated. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and the need will become less important, you know, maybe. Yeah, totally. If you're heard and you're understood and you're not being told that you're controlling or abuser because you have a need, right? It's not a power play. It's not, it's not a control thing. It's, you know, they're, they're, they're worthy of being put on the table and negotiated. They're worthy of being regarded. You're worthy of being regarded, you know? Right. Like, it's not like, and, and I, you guys all know how I feel about like labels, right? You're an abuser. I'm an abuser. You're going to be like, nobody's anything. That's not how it works to be human. We're not static fixed beings. We are becoming. If you are, if you have been abusive, that's one thing. That doesn't mean you are forever an abuser. Right. So cut it out with the fucking labels, people. Well, it just shuts down the conversation. Is it, it shuts know, it down the person. Like it shuts down the person, right? Th- then that's all you are. That's not fair. That's not. That's not. It's not fair. Anyway, because <laughs> we do it to ourselves too. And I see this all the time. Like we talk about this all the time. Like I am X. I am codependent. I am whatever. And it's like oh, you've been codependent. And those those tendencies are super important to understand and think about. If you've been abusive, it's super understand. It's super important to understand and think about where that behavior comes from. But if you say that it's what you are, then there is no future. Right. There's no hope. There's no change. There's no nothing, you know? Right. Okay. I'm going to stop shouting. Sorry. I hope we made sense. <laughs> we did. I think we did. I think we did. Okay. Okay. Um, if you want us to, we, we roll it out at dawn, you know? <laughs> Like we're so fired up. I feel like I'm going to be thinking about her for a long time. I know. Thank you for sharing. The other thing that I I was really humbled by in this story, we were talking about this before we signed on to, um, to record. was just like how humbled we are at everyone's openness. People are cutting themselves open and sharing their most vulnerable parts with us. And we are honored and we hope that we are doing them justice. You know, your story is never wrong. You know, it's, it's your story. It's your, 
it's yours. It's personal. It's not, you shouldn't be attacked. You shouldn't feel guilty. You shouldn't feel shame. It's mm-hmm. your story. And I think that we all have a need to tell our own yep. stories. So I, you know, I, I hope that we are, she said it, which I, you know, I, th- I think was huge. Uh, um, thank you for providing a safe space. That's, if we can do that, that's a huge honor and accomplishment. And yeah. I'm grateful that people are willing to share. And I am blown away mm-hmm. by the strength of these mm-hmm. individuals. Yeah. I really am. Okay. <laughs> Tiny little <Okay>. joy. <laughs> Why do we do this? Because we are connecting to our hope circuit. It's, you know, I can sometimes feel the, how difficult it is to switch. And I think that's like, that's what's happening in, in your brain. Your brain is like having to switch between whatever we were just talking about and whatever that's activating to this other part of your brain. You can like feel that sometimes. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. It's palpable. It's like, yeah. Like, do you have a time? It is. I do. Yep. So I found this, you know, little um, stone that mom gave me. Can you see that? Oh yeah. I have that one too. Does Mine say says. Truth? No, it says imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know where mom got them. It came in this like cute little pouch, but I found it, you know, in, in a box of stuff that I was going through. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't know why mom gave it to me. It was probably some veiled like <laughs> thing that I wasn't being honest. Tell the truth, Lisa. <laughs> exactly. Um, with my life or what was going on or what she hoped for me. But I, you know, I feel like it's something that, um, is really important to me, important to all of us in a way. And um, just to find this little stone that she gave me and I'll take a picture of it and we'll put it on Instagram. Um, It was just a reminder of kind of my journey and, you know, being on the right path and trying to stay um, to honor that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I know. It, It just like popped up. So I think it's so funny that mine says imagine like it's good. It is good. She's been, what she, like, she thought she, I don't know what she was oh. putting out in the world for us, mm-hmm. but look at how that's like panned out. You know, truth is totally your thing. It is totally. Yeah. Truth is like a big thing for me, but in the, in the, like, in the, in the, like righteous way, you know, like, yeah, not in like a law and order situation. Like, right. You know, in like a tell me your story. Tell right, me. exactly. And I and I can hear it, whatever it is. You know what I mean? I can like I can be there with you in that truth, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to if if people would feel that way about me. That would be they do. That would be a wonderful thing. I sure as fuck do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel the same way about you. So I love that. It's kind of she, cool to find that. I know. I think she got them at Long Meadow Flowers. I think so too. <laughs> With that green vase that I put flowers in. Shout out to Long Meadow Flowers. Oh, that's funny. Do you have one? I do. So um, this actually happened last week and then I forgot about it, which is so funny. <laughs> it was like, this is the, the, a testament to how into the letters we get because I completely forgot this was my tiny little joy last week. I have a, I my research partner, um, Gary Senecal and I wrote a book last summer, which seems ridiculous because it was 
the pan- I mean, we were locked in our houses. What else were we going to do? Um, about the veteran reintegration process and PTSD across cultures. So we looked at like, why do American veterans have rates of suicide 50 to 100 times greater than those of our NATO ally countries, right? So the people that are fighting the same wars, what's happening? Um, and it was really fascinating, eye-opening data. And we were, it was a really fun project to, to work on. And the book uh, comes out at the end of this month. And last week I got the email from the, um, from the publishing company, um, that the book is ready. And, you know, they send you like the picture of the cover, which I can, this is what we'll put on the website. Um, but I've worked with, this is, this is the second book that I've published and the, I've, for both of the covers, I've been really proud because I got to work the, the art for the cover is really meaningful. Um, and so I worked with Drew Cameron, who does this project called combat paper, where he transforms, uh, military uniforms into paper and then does art on them that are, just amazing and beautiful. And he did the, um, the cover for my first book, which I loved and he agreed to do the second cover. And so his art is on the cover as well. And I just getting that in the email, like in that, here's the cover of your book is just like, that's, that's a shot of all the happy dopamine things in your brain and stuff, serotonin, whatever else. That's all. Well, first of all, the fact that you didn't mention it last week is a testament to your humility. Like, oh yeah, I wrote a book. Yep, yep. Mac has always been. Oh yeah, by the way, I just wrote a book. Like no big deal. Um, when we're all like, oh, I don't think I could write a short story if you put a gun to my head. Um, That's not true. But it's it's like the manifestation of all your work. You know, mm. it, it's super cool. Yeah, it is really cool. It's um, it's it's neat. It's it's. I have to get better. Sometimes people get mad because they find out that I wrote a book from like an Instagram post or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, what the fuck? But I, I, so I have to get better at celebrating those things because it is, I love doing stuff like that and it's really fun and the work is important. That's why I do it. I can't, I, I pre-ordered it from Amazon. Did you really? <laughs> yep. You need to sign it. Well, it's this is, um, coffee table book. both the books I've done so far are on academic presses, which means they're absurdly expensive. So don't go buy it on Amazon, but I mean, go buy it, but don't go buy it. You know what I mean? I'm supposed to be marketing, but <laughs> like $80, that seems ridiculous. I'm sure it's worth every penny. <laughs> Thank you. It's fun. It's fun. And it's cool to see, like you have a tangible thing, you know, so much of what I do is not tangible. So it's like to have like, yo, here's, you did this thing and it's here in this right. room. That's kind of cool. Right. So yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. It's exciting. It was it's a fun, exciting. it was a fun project. And it was interesting. I was thinking about this. This was like the last thing we did before the world shut down was go to the, the American Psychological Association and present this data. The conference is in San Diego. And we were all like, t- I remember these hilarious conversations that you look back on and you're just like, what the heck? Cause we were like, Oh, I guess there's like a virus, like whatever. No one had it yet. Like we were all flying across the country and like, I know it was just, you know, that was like the week before the world closed. I know it's, it's really, it's crazy to think about it. Remember like, Oh, just 14 days to flirt. I know. Like, wait, what? I know. I know. Or 15 months and we right. still won't flatten the curve and right. everything's a shit show. Da, da, da. Yeah. Here we are. Right. <laughs> okay. So go to our website, thetraumatapes.com. Um, our brother Jake built that. We talked about that last week. We're super impressed. Um, it's cool. Go look at it and uh, subscribe and rate. That's really helpful. That's what helps the podcast get out and seen by other people, which helps us keep going. And you can also find us on Instagram at the trauma tapes. I think that's it, right? Yep. Okay. 
Thanks, thanks. guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.